This morning in North Carolina, wheels are spinning. Determination is winning. A passion is now a thriving business, and it shows no signs of slowing down. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one Clint Spiegel had with First Horizon Bank about starting a bike wheel manufacturing facility in Asheville. Now it's not just talk, it's rubber meets road. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Clint. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. College football reigns supreme all year long. Now more college football talk with the king of college football. It's the Chuck Oliver Show on Southern Sports Today. Hour two of the Chuck Oliver Show on this Wednesday. I appreciate you coming here for your CSD convo. Never include enough Alabama talk when it comes to college football. And with the one guy leaving and he took the other guy with him and now we got an opening and uh, we're just going to promote from within. Uh, not an unusual thing for a head coach in that situation. Ryan Grubb was in Tuscaloosa for like 15 minutes. Like, eh, I am going back to Washington State. So it's going to be, it's, it was going to be Kalen DeBoer's offense anyway. Um, now it really will be Kalen DeBoer's offense, but you're going to have somebody who's an OC and there are duties to take over. Um, DeBoer's taken over some of them. Uh, but Nick Sheridan uh, will take over the others. And I believe it's official now. I want to welcome on right now. Man, man, he'll cut through all the official, unofficial. It's just a rumor, Chuck, from the Tuscaloosa News. He's the Bama Beat guy. It's Nick Kelly. Nick, welcome. How are you today? I'm doing well, Chuck. How are you? Uh, nothing but good, man. Uh, Nick Sheridan, is he expected to become OC or is he OC? Yeah, the right now, the latest I know is that he's expected to become the OC. Um, so there's been nothing official out of Alabama yet. Um, but unless something changes, that, that's the way things are going. So, uh, yeah, it sounds like they're getting closer to getting that staff finalized. And what will that do? I was kind of connecting dots. I was like, well, it was going to be DeBoer's deal anyway. And so he'll, he will adopt, the head coach will adopt some of Ryan Grubb's duties. Um, is that the assumption and that this will be more of a title thing than necessarily the same duties as Ryan Grubb, right? That's a good question. I mean, I don't know that I have the exact here. Here's the bullet list of duties of who's going to handle what. I think it's going to be collaborative, just like it was going to be with Grubb and DeVore. I mean, I've talked to guys who played for them before who said that, yeah, Grubb's the play caller, and he was the one, uh, you know, essentially putting together that art that is play calling. But uh, DeVore is very much so involved in that or what has been involved in that. And, and those two are very collaborative because they both respected each other's offensive minds and just kind of the way they went about things. And so um, I think it's part of the reason why if you're Kalen DeBoer, you want to get a guy who you know and who you've worked with. Because if, it's, if you're going to be collaborative as the head coach, who's an offensive head coach, you need a guy who's receptive to your input. Um, so we'll see what that looks like. I mean, you look at any place that has – the coordinator working under that side, you know, style of head coach, like Nick Saban was a defensive guy. So the, the defensive coordinator working with him uh, was getting input from Nick Saban, whereas the offensive coordinator was a little bit more on an island that way. Well, flip that, and now it's whoever's going to be the OC is going to be working with Kellen DeBoer, and the defense coordinator is on a little bit more of an island, which is why it's huge that they got a guy like Kane Womack, uh, or Womack, I should say, yeah. that uh, is able to – essentially be a head coach for the defense. I mean, he's been a head coach at the FBS level at South Alabama, and so he'll be leading that defense. And so, yeah, I think that obviously you want to make a good hired OC, but really I think it's important to have that synergy on that side of the ball because no matter who it is, they're going to be working with Kalen DeBoer. I apologize. Has the offensive line uh, duties, has that been dealt out officially? 
It is not. Uh, that's still that's a good question. I, I've yet to glean an exact name there. Um, rest assured, they're, they're working fast because you want to fill that. I mean, to me, everyone's talking about Ryan Grubb, but losing Scott Huff, that's a big deal. I mean, I mean, he's the guy who just coached the uh, Joe Moore award-winning offensive line, especially at uh, at a position and at a place where um, just essentially Alabama – uh, could have used some improved offensive line play. Uh, that, that's a big deal for them, uh, getting a good coach there. So whoever they're going to hire is going to be very important. When we look at Alabama's coaching staff, since when we were talking about you know DeBoer almost has his, I guess, now, um, it was almost like an all-star roster. He would bring in names of guys that had been coordinated, not just coaches, coordinators for 20 years, like Kevin Steele, for instance. Um this is a different sort of thing here. This is a lot of unknown names to Alabama fans. Has that been any – now, by the way, there are great coaches everywhere, so you just don't know them yet, but that's my opinion. Um, has this been a conversation or even something that you've heard, like the Alabama fan base is like, wait a minute, none of these guys, I don't know them. I think that happens when you get guys who aren't from the SEC or who aren't right in the footprint right now. Um, so I think there is some of that. And – the unknown obviously is scary to some people, but they brought in some good coaches. I mean, the fact they got yep. two sitting FBS coaches is a big deal. Um, so I think the biggest thing I'd say with anything right now is whether it's roster, whether it's coaching staff, is be patient. Maybe it doesn't work out, and if it doesn't, they'll hire different coaches. Uh, but for now, no football is going to be played until until the fall, and so you kind of have to sit tight to see how it all comes together. If we look at the portal, uh, I believe the 30-day Saban window is done now. Uh, any name that did not portal out that surprised you? Was there anybody maybe you just looked at and said, yeah, maybe, that, that would make sense, that it's still there? It's a good question. I mean, uh, you look at a guy like uh, Ty Simpson, um, and he was one who decided to stay um, and compete and stay at that quarterback spot. I thought he was all but gone, really. I mean, and that wasn't necessarily – me hearing that from people directly tied to it, but more so uh, just it, it would have made sense. I mean, you have Jalen Murrow coming back, you had Julian Sane coming in, uh, Dylan Lonergan still in the fold. And so I thought maybe Ty Simpson would leave, but he stuck around. And, and that's what's interesting, Chuck, is that quarterback position. Yes, Jalen Murrow is back. Yes, he's in a really good spot, and he, he improved last year over the course of the season. But when you have a new staff, no one's starting spot is guaranteed. So you got to still win that spot. And so I'll be curious to see what happens there um, when you have a new system see how Jalen Murrow fits in. Obviously, he's an electric athlete. He's a really talented player. Um, but I think there's going to be competition there to an extent, and he's going to have to – I mean, he's going to stay on top of the depth chart, but he's going to have to still win that position in the eyes of this coaching staff. All right, I want to ask you as well, like, you know, you're at the, the pulse of the Bama fan base. Um, I'm going to tell you among media, among me, one out of one Chuck Olivers looked at the outgoing transfers. And part of what was in my brain was just the lack of respect from these other schools. They looked, they literally, the second Saban left, viewed that program as nothing but just another program to go poach the roster. Did, th did that stand out to you? Like you had programs coming to Bama's roster that would never thought of it. Yeah, I mean, there is a certain welcome to reality element of a post-Nick Saban era, and that's, a, that's an element of it. NIL talks, and, and that's something where – not having Nick Saban uh, changes the dynamic. But it's not like they brought in a guy who's just super unachieved and uh, or just super unaccomplished, I, sh I should say, and has underachieved or anything. I mean, you brought in Kalen DeBoer just won AP Coach of the Year. I mean, he won all these Coach of the Year awards. And so um, I, I think at the same time, yeah, you're going to lose some of that just naturally because of NIL and such. But 
Um, essentially, it's not that Alabama's in a bad spot or they're back to the you know, in the middle of the SEC. It's not Nick Saban's dynasty. But even if Nick Saban is still here, the, the advantages Alabama had for so long in his dynasty just don't exist anymore because of NIL, the transfer portal, and all those challenges that you have to face in today's day and age. I mean, there, there's more parity. Um, and so, yeah, it is a little bit different, but I don't think that's necessarily because of a new coaching staff. I just think that more expedites some of that, that uh, having Nick Saban kind of slowed. Last thing I want to ask you about, Nick Kelly again, Tuscaloosa News beat guy, and just, just opinions. You're not an NFL scout, but you watch these guys every single week. Um, I want to ask you about a couple of kids that are going up to Indianapolis, or going to the Combine up in Indianapolis in uh, about two weeks, and then obviously on to the NFL. Terry and Arnold, he was always supposed to be the second corner. Um, I've seen he may be, I don't know, top 12, top 15, maybe in that range. Talk about what Terry and Arnold did to turn himself into like this sort of heights going into the NFL draft. Yeah, I mean, you're correct in that he could very well be a top 10 pick. I mean, it, it's kind of wild, his his ascension. Um, I know his scouts like him. I know that there's a lot of interest in him um, and really what he did. I mean, it last, the year before was his first year playing corner at, at any level, really. I mean, he, he was not a guy who would play that position as much. There was, there was a you know a learning curve, a growth period. Um, so he had some good plays. He had some bad plays. Um uh, but he went into the season, just really dedicated himself, worked with some defensive backs coaches, and he got a lot better. I mean, the dude's a heck of an athlete. He's got the size, the speed. He's got a huge personality, really fun guy to cover, fun guy to be around. Uh, and he mixed all that together and, and uh, has made him quite the cornerback prospect. And I think an NFL team is going to be fortunate to have him. Uh, Jace McClellan, to me, he is a different different body and whatever, but he is a version of Brian Robinson. No, by God, I'm going to be an NFL player. I am going to work my way to an NFL player. That kid had all kinds of disruptions to finally get his season last year. That was kind of fun to watch to me. What do you think about him? Yeah, I mean, he's had some injuries over you know that, the years and just the guys had to fight through that, but just he's a workhorse. I mean, he's a guy who goes after it. He's got speed. He's got some size. I mean, he's got some intrigue. So we'll see where he fits in the NFL. He wasn't necessarily a complete just take over the game kind of guy, but he has the ability to, to make plays, and, and that's a good skill set to have when you want to be an NFL running back. Last guy I want to ask you about, and I'm, it's, I don't know, kind of pointless now because I think Saban finally realized with kickers and Will Reichert, he's like, all right, I'm going to have to true love this guy, make him a priority, full scholarship, <laughs> way up front. And, boy, he got it right with Reichert. Then he retired. Um, just comment <laughs> on Will Reichert and just the fact – people forget the years leading up to Will Reichert. That was the one thing we looked at with Saban and say, fix that, man. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable how good Will Reichard was and reliable he was. And even in his last game, he had, what, multiple 50-yard kicks or at least one. Um, it all feels like it's been years since that Rose Bowl. <laughs> um, but really, he's a guy who Saban could count on. And you couldn't always say that about all the kickers he had. Not that Will made every single kick, but, I mean, he was darn near automatic and, and just a guy that they enjoyed having on the team. So, um, yeah, like you said, what a way for Saban to go out with really uh, the NCAA's all-time leading point scorer. All right. Nick Kelly, Tuscaloosa News. Appreciate your expertise, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Have a good rest of your week. Yes, sir. Nick Kelly, appreciate his time. Um, that's the thing. And I don't want to single out anybody, you know, any individual kid. And that's maybe one of the good things. Don't we remember just the good kickers? Like we remember Kevin Butler or Donald Iguabuike or, I don't know, Colin Mackey. Um, we remember the good kickers. 
Do we remember the, like, Scott Norwood? Honestly, if that guy would have been guzzling hardcore for years after that Super Bowl, I would have got it because in the NFL, we remember Garo Yapremium trying to throw a pass. We remember the guy who missed. Do we remember, was it Dan Mowry of Florida State? I had to just think for a second. Um, I don't think we remember the bad kickers as much. So, I don't, Heath, am I right about any of this? You probably remember the, the better ones more than you do the ones that struggle, but there's still ones that you do you do have in your back of your mind. But, uh, you know, again, it's a college kicker. If you're holding a grudge against a college kicker, that's on you. Absolutely. And if I invented the name Dan Mowry, I do apologize. Uh, but I, I think that's what he, who, who one of the wide writers it was. was. Okay, there you go. Uh, at least one of them. And there might have been a... There's Xavier Bathia in there, Schmidt. too. There's some others. Was there a Derek Schmidt at some point? All right. Uh, we're going to take a quick break before I impugn anyone else's reputation. Come back next. to Southern Sports Today and the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show. Continuing on this Wednesday, thank you for coming here for your college football talk each day. Looking at schedules earlier, just previewing the seat, a lot of different um, spokes off this hub, but was looking at different schedules and I had started drilling down on the Big Ten. Folks, at, at the very least, there is a date on our college football calendar. At the very least, this is the daily fantasy lock of the 2024 college football season. At the very least, this game on October 19th is the daily fantasy lock of the season. And it also leaves only 11 playoff spots. Carson Beck versus Quinn Ewers. It might be an all-timer. I don't know. Maybe one's hurt and the other's got the flu. Uh, But Carson Beck versus Quinn Ewers, where I sit in February, and I said going into last season, I did not get fully rewarded. It came around at the end. But I said going into the season last year. Do y'all remember? I was like, somebody had asked me, I did an interview somewhere, and somebody had asked me, give the – if everybody in college football give the one player you're most looking forward to seeing play. And I thought for Quinn Ewers, this was going to be a last season send-off to the league. And, boy, Texas looks like they pre- they got to overcome Sark. They didn't uh, have to do that. but uh, so, that, I, so I got some – I was off on some. But I looked at Quinn Ewers, and I was like, to me, I just blurted it out. I was like, it's Quinn Ewers. And I hadn't been thinking about that. I knew I was a big fan of his. But that was the number one kid I was looking forward to see last year. And after the injury, and he came back, and they won the conference, and now they're in the playoffs, and even to the very last play of the game, it was there. Carson Beck versus Quinn Ewers might be an all-timer in the SEC, or it could be the signature game of this regular season. All-timer in the SEC, I mean, you're talking Scott Hunter, Archie Manning stuff. Go look that one up on YouTube. Um, And I want to talk to the two fan bases right now. If you're a UT fan, you're a Georgia fan, if you give up 450 through the air 
and are on the business end of 46 points, if that happens to you and your defense that day, it doesn't mean that's what your defense is, or at least it doesn't mean it has to be that. This is already looking like it could be the signature game of the regular season. And by the way, every year, every season, there are turning point games for the entire season. This game did it all. LSU out there in Texas, actually, was probably that in 2019. It's going to be different now because 12 or 4. You could lose a game at like Ohio State. Sorry, done. No, but with one or 11, yeah, sorry. And we almost on the road, mm-hmm, out. Georgia, but not 12 and 0, and we, but in two straight. Respect. Sorry. Florida State, they didn't even say sorry. Did not even say sorry. That's not the full environment now, but you will still have signature game or two throughout the year. And I think this is going to be it. And by the way, over the passing yards for both guys. So that's already October 19th. Whenever I don't think uh, prize picks or underdog fantasy or whatever um, already has the game passing yards number over for October 19th. I don't think they have the options listed yet. Uh, But when it does come out, not only is that game to me, I'm looking at it right now thinking, yep, that's one no matter what else I'm doing. It's not that day. Uh, than, than just a tremendous, tremendous matchup by preview, at least. And again, the passing yard's over. And of course, that'll be a week after Texas plays Oklahoma and Dallas. We will be there on that Thursday and Friday. Heath is taking care of those arrangements. So uh, we're looking forward to our first broadcast out in Dallas. Heath, how's your Wednesday? Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to get right on that, Chuck. Definitely, uh, definitely closing in on that. Uh, I will say this. We have a little bit of news out of Georgia. Uh, Scott Cochran and Daryl Dickey have both resigned from their positions. Uh, neither of these guys, obviously, is gigantically influential in the, in the key aspects of what they do. Uh, Cochran had worked with special teams after he first got there. And then uh, Dickey had spent last year in Athens after having been the A&MOC under Jimbo. So, you know, again, a guy with a lot of experience in that background, no idea where Daryl Dickey's going. And uh, Cochran, this whole thing, Chuck, you just remember what a big deal that was. It's not that Cochran leaving now is going to hurt Georgia. It's just been fascinating how this played out because when Scott Cochran left Alabama, he had been portrayed. I mean, for Pete's sake, that guy got a banking commercial. He was enough of a celebrity as a strength coach. He was to the get a banking golly of the program. He was the kid, the guy that every kid went to, not just to increase his bench or his 40, but to... I need help with life. Like, he was viewed as one of the Pied Pipers there. Right. So when when Kirby took him and brought him to Athens, I mean, this was perceived at, whoa, okay, this is actually taking a big piece of the pie out. And it, it, it never really seemed like, for various reasons, it ever had the impact it was supposed to have in Athens. He, he had some personal issues that he's spoken about publicly and yep. uh, never really made the transition into coaching because that was part of the whole idea was that Cochran wanted to be, he said, a head coach one day. And so he needed to get on field. He needed to get out and be a recruiter. And that wasn't an opportunity he'd had at Alabama. It just, if you had said on your show the day that happened, hey, Valentine's Day 2024 is when it ends, I don't think anybody from, from Bama's side, from Georgia's side, random media guy like me, I don't think anybody could have guessed this is where it would end. 
and how? No, and it was four years. You're right. It was 2020 after the 19th season when he left. Um, it was viewed as the shot across the bow. Um, hadn't gotten it done yet to the level that we want in Athens, but this is the signal that we're not backing down. Like it was viewed as a big picture statement as well as the actual advantage to the program. So Kirk Benedict is going to get promoted into the role of special teams coordinator. We'll probably have a little bit more on that coming up uh, tomorrow, but again, a little bit of news there out of Athens. Also, uh, at least according to reporting, Chuck, looks like helmet communication in college football is getting closer to approval they experimented with this during the bowls. It's obviously been around in the NFL yep. for longer than that. And so it looks like we're going to get uh, helmet communication. And uh, obviously, you look at this, there's just no good reason not to do it. I mean, it goes back to so many other things we're talking about in sports. Hey, maybe Louisiana Monroe or whoever can't afford to do what maybe a bigger program can. If you can't afford it, I mean, that's unfortunate. But this idea that we shouldn't let it be available when it is and it makes everybody's life easier uh that that doesn't make any sense it's been well shown by now this effective it works there's no reason at all they shouldn't have put it in and i'm glad it sounds like we're going to get it yeah you know what clemson has two of on full-time staff i mean 24 7 every day of the year they have two full-time executive chefs on full-time staff um i don't think fiu does because they can't afford it so there's all kinds of different measuring sticks and i know you're talking about game equipment and such um but it still is the same basic principle i mean you can have you know an, an extra seven man sled same thing yeah i mean exactly there are no guarantees of oh well you know we all get the same ticket revenue it doesn't work that way some people have better shoe contracts it doesn't work that way even in the conferences uh, vanderbilt doesn't have the same resources that a lot of other programs do that's just how it is and yeah. so uh, it, it looks like the committee later this month is going to approve it. And again, I, I can't imagine who would object to this. Yeah, and remember, Oregon was actually the first because of the Phil Knight and the Nike stuff with all the um, performance sensors um, at the forefront of that as well. And basically research for Nike that also benefited the program at the same time. So um, that was the daily double there. All right, as a Wednesday, we're going to take a break, come back, talk a little UCLA next. Tonight in Arkansas, there's a mother tucking in her daughter and turning off the light. A business owner is burning the midnight oil. An at-home dinner date is plating up possibility. And it's all happening under one roof. How? The power of a conversation. Like the one John from Integrity Solutions had with First Horizon Bank about his vision for a sustainable mixed-use building. Now it's not just words, it's life. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash John. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season. The king of college football no matter where you go with a new Southern Sports Today app. Catch the best college football conversation in the South everywhere with the SST live stream and daily podcast. Downloaded now at the App Store and the Google Play Store. Now more of the best college football talk in the country. It's the Chuck Oliver Show. Chuck Oliver Show rolling through this Wednesday. 
the coaching turnover, I'm talking about programs at the absolute top of the food chain, power five or four conferences, um, those sorts of programs. And for the most unusual reasons, um, I'm retiring or yeah, I'm retiring from being your head coach so I can be a go be a coordinator over here. Uh, we're going to talk about UCLA right now because they have a head coach. It's Deshaun Foster, first-time head coach, and that's sort of a thing now. We're going to talk about that with Greg Bergman from ESPN Los Angeles. Greg, welcome to the program. How you doing today, man? Hey, how you doing, Chuck? Nice to talk to you. I uh, appreciate your time. Deshaun Foster to his alma mater. I talked yesterday, Clark Lee at Vanderbilt, Brent Key at Georgia Tech. It's sort of a thing now for a program to say, it's not just he wants to be a coach. We think this guy wants to be a coach here. Talk about that element with Deshaun because we have to be honest. Um, he may work for cheaper in this situation like at some other schools, and he may resist temptation a season or two longer. Um, the heartstrings and being able to pull off a contract, that's now part of it to me. I see too many examples of it. Yeah, so I mean, you're absolutely right, but I think there's a lot more at play just with UCLA in general because – you went from a guy in Chip Kelly who had no interest in really the city or the donors or anything else. And you, and you know that NIL is a massive, massive part of it. And I think that having a guy that went to the school, bleeds blue and gold, really loves the city and everything about it, can actually go out and get NIL money that they were not getting under Kelly. They can go get recruits that that say, hey, look, I played here. I can sell this school. So I think that that's a why you went after a guy like that instead of going to somebody that, you know, could have been from from the Minnesota head coach and P.J. Fleck or somebody else. I think you, having somebody that knows the city is important for right now for a team like UCLA. So let's cover the old business then. You mentioned Chip there. Why didn't it work out? And I have to say, why didn't it work out more? Because he kind of won some. He beat you. He beat USC, put a number on him a couple of times. Um, but it didn't really work out. And I don't think anybody, like on either side, is that unhappy about the split. No, there is no, there's no love lost with, with Chip Kelly. It was, a, it was a very tough thing to watch because he came in and he was supposed to be this offensive mastermind. And eventually the offense did get well, but he could not win. He also just was a guy that didn't want, like I was saying before, he didn't want to get involved with the donors. He didn't want to get involved with NIL. He didn't want to go out and get do, do recruiting. Like there was just so much of it that he just felt that he was kind of above and we as fans all felt that it was something that we he didn't he never seemed like he really wanted to be here it seemed like he always wanted to move on to something else so i think a lot of that went in and he just it, it started to feel good but when it came down to a big game towards the end of the season when they you know they're playing well they're in the top 10 you have your this amazing offense the defense was terrible and he refused to help like find a better defensive coordinator he finally find a better defensive coordinator dan tom lynn and because of chip you know his whole thing he allows him to go to, across the street to usc it was mind-boggling the way that he worked it was so him gone is a amazing thing i'm very happy with it We'll talk to Sean Foster from the football side. We've covered the uh, emotional attachment and why it is different. I mean, like if Minnesota offered him a job, he may have taken it. This is different. Um, talk about the football side and what the expectation is, because he talked about hitting the ground running. He's like, I want to win now. So, yeah, that's, of course, I don't think he's going to hit the ground running and win right away. I think this is a long process, unfortunately, too. I'm 
I think we have to give him four or five years, and that's a long time for UCLA going into the Big Ten to get four or five years. That's a really long time, nope. but he's the cupboard is bare, Chuck. It is completely bare. You you lost basically everybody on the de- defensive end. You have the worst recruiting class in UCLA history coming in here. Lost a bunch of guys in the transfer portal. Now everybody that's there right now is is staying, thankfully, but. It's way past recruiting time, so you're not going to get anybody this year. They're going to go into the Big Ten, and they're going to get smacked around for the first couple of years. Wrapping up, Greg Berman, ESPN Los Angeles. Okay, so I grew up in an era, and I guess it warped my perception. Um, Terry Donahue was the head coach, and so like every January 1st, about 5 o'clock in my house, you know, I might be watching UCLA playing a Rose Bowl. Like, they were really, really good and nationally relevant. Um, that turns out it was the outlier the toledo year was an outlier i guess um why hasn't ucla been able to find footing like over the last two decades um it's it it boggles my mind actually because they you can win at ucla if you can if you have the right coach and that's what i'm hoping deshaun foster's gonna be somebody that's gonna go out and recruit la you're not gonna get the usc the USC level top five guys. That's not going to happen right away. It takes time. Um, but if you can go out and get the guys that are just not good enough for UC, USC or can take one or two away from SC, you can win. And if you and in today's game, you have to have the NIL and go out and go down to, out there talking to donors, talking to things. I think there was moments where it all worked, where Jim Mora was here. He started to – it worked. Like he, for the first couple of years, you had those 10-win seasons – and then he got into his head, I want to go back to the NFL. And you could see he started taking job off, uh, uh, what's it called? Uh, interviews. He started going at interviews. Thank you very much. My, my mind stopped for a second. Happens. But, yeah, going yeah, interviews in the, in the NFL. And, and then he started to lose the players. And he lost the players. And then he had to be fired. So I think people were looking at UCLA as a job that can get you to a higher level. And that's not the way that has to be. And hopefully Deshaun Foster realizes what he has in store for him. Go get out there, recruit your your butt off, go talk to the the people to get NIL, get all those things happening. And they can and will be successful if that all works. Because you saw Dante Moore wanted to come. You can get the guys. You just got to keep them. Um, what's going on across town in college football when there's a rivalry, what's going on at the rivalry, you know, across town, across state is supposed to matter. Kentucky and Louisville, South Carolina, Clemson, whomever. Um, is there any reaction like UCLA? I'm like, they got plenty on their own plate. Does winning a Heisman and Lincoln Riley and everything at USC, does that, does that even, is that on their radar right now? Like, give me the state of the UCLA USC rivalry. Cause again, I grew up, that thing was blood sport. It, it was blood sport. That's how I knew it. I mean, growing up for me, I was in my my years were when UCLA won eight straight, and it was the most amazing time of my life. But it's it's just not. Last year meant nothing, and it was sad that it meant nothing because USC wasn't very good defensively, and it didn't it wasn't working out. UCLA was going through the whole Chip Kelly. We needed yeah. wanted him fire, so it just had nothing behind it. Hopefully, you can get back to that. It can. It's, I think it's possible, but especially now going into the Big Ten, like they have to show that they can be a powerhouse and and beat a, a game that actually really matters to the city of Los Angeles. That way it was a huge matchup, and for some reason over the last couple of years, just down the tank. It's It's been disappointing. 
All right, last thing for you, and I don't know, this is just, I'm, I'm a fan, and I'm not at the game, so I at least want to kind of feel the party. Um, the home environment, um, how hard is it going to get, like, the maybe fan to actually be a fan again? Because that is kind of a magical place, and it's lonely. Yeah, I think it's lonely because of Chip Kelly. I'm hoping that it will not be lonely anymore because he he it, he, he basically when before COVID and after COVID there was he just didn't even want the fans back for whatever reason. It was kind of kept them out, and so I think with Deshaun Foster, there's, it's going to be a push to it. And also, it's sad that UCLA is on a quarter system, so they don't even come back to school until late September. So those first few games, they're not here yet. So there's no students, so they don't come early to for that first month of the season, mm-hmm. and that and that hurts the product. And you can see it on TV because they show the student section, and it's empty because they're not in school. And that's the problem with also sometimes having um, the, be at the Rose Bowl instead of on campus in Westwood. That's a good with traffic. That's a good hour away. Yeah, and if you get whacked by Utah and Oregon State, it's kind of hard to get the home crowd up for a Stanford game as well. So it just it was yeah, a bad exactly. confluence of events last year. Uh, brother, I appreciate the insight, man. That was fantastic stuff. Thank you. All right, thank you very much. Appreciate having, having me on. All right, Greg Bergman, ESPN Los Angeles. They play in the Rose Bowl. <laughs> magical, magical, magical setting. And th- when I wasn't just picking the example, like, throwing some teams out there they started the quarter system is weird when i was in school at auburn it it was quarters which means the school year started for me like september 25th or 26th or something first day of class casey ucla and by the way it was 50 50 it was mac or it was ibm i mean it just didn't matter it was you know it was 50 50 now you're on the quarter system. You are the outlier. And I was actually in school when you would open in the first two home games. Nobody was on campus. And so, you know, did it matter at a place in the SEC where there were expectations, national championships and just got a Heisman and all that? No, it didn't matter. You'd show up anyway and the place would be, be packed. At UCLA, when you open in the Rose Bowl, Big, giant, magical Rose Bowl, which for football, it seats 100,000 people, folks. Um, when you play in the, the Rose Bowl and no kids are on campus and won't be for three weeks and the opponent is Coastal Carolina, eh, you're not going to get a great crowd. And then your next home game is against North Carolina Central. You're not going to get a great crowd. Then you go on the road, get beat by Utah and Oregon State. Hey, folks, come on out. We're playing the Cardinal Saturday night. Rose Bowl, which I I don't know. I think it's 100,000 or 99,000 or something. Maybe that's Coliseum. Um, Rose Bowl is like 90-something. So 95,000. And you get 30,000 people out to the game. And everybody looks around and is like, this just kind of stinks. And that's not supposed to be the case. UCLA, I don't know. The aesthetics only carry you so far. Um, but that jersey, that backdrop, I don't know, that scholarship, 
It's a really good place to go to school for free. It's a big stage. You can leap to the NFL. People do it all the time. It has become the exception, and it has been the ex- uh, I'd say the, for them to be really good on a more than city level. Like they could be relevant in LA, I guess. But beyond that, uh-uh. a year with Mora, New Heisel, they got him relevant one time, and but it was just because look. We're six and six. We don't. Do you remember this? This was UCLA football. We're six and six. Can we have a waiver to not go play the Pac-12 championship game because we're going to lose, and you can't go to a bowl game if you're not five hundred. So they got a waiver. It's like, yeah, you can go, and when you lose, then you can still go to a bowl game because they had other teams going. We got a winning record, or we're five hundred. And they're like, yeah, we we won't because we're going to – I think it was maybe they're playing Oregon or something. Um, so that's – it's just been a real just like one after another. There are programs I've looked at. UCLA is one of them. I've talked – it's funny because he said the same thing about UNLV. I've looked at UNLV. I was like, you got to figure this out. People have said in response to me in conversation, well, you know that 75% of those players can't get into a casino. I'm like, it's not necessarily about hitting the floor at Luxor. It's I'm in Vegas. I can sell that to a kid. In fact, I think I can sell the NFL. I can sell the first round. I can sell the coaching staff. I can sell all this other stuff of Oklahoma. I can sell Las Vegas if I get that same kid in Las Vegas. I've always thought I've always been wrong because nobody has cracked that code. Not with any, I'll say consistency. Nobody's cracked the code. A one-off season in a decade and a half, maybe, Maybe it's one off. UCLA is another one of them. I look at it and go, get your business right, man. All right, we're going to take a break. And oh my gosh, got to wrap up on this Wednesday next. Always college football time in the South. Now back to more of the king of college football, Chuck Oliver, on Southern Sports Today. Got no problem with that. Yeah, he came in there as a freshman with a bunch of older guys that, that were on that team I had was the freshman that started. And that's the first thing I told him. I said, hey, you're going to have to gain their respect now. And you know what? <laughs> He'll gain their respect real early when he messes around and he gets into that scramble mode and he turns around and he's running for about 50 of the team with a hole. Okay, <laughs> we got it. Herm. How do I pitch him? Former Arizona State head coach? Former Philadelphia Eagles defensive back. Um, Herm Edwards. I have it not. You know what? Whenever, whenever the business card says football personality, Herm Edwards. He has Hermisms. Uh, football personality, Herm Edwards. Who's had a lot of business cards, but he's a personality. How about Jaden Daniels? And the future as an NFL quarterback and where you where he may be drafted and what you do to get him and whatever else. So real good commentary on with uh, a guy named Nick Cellini and a guy named Chris Domino from WCNN in Atlanta. And so that was Herm. Herm won with the Jets. And I don't mean just a little bit. I mean, compare. he was 35 and 29 and they fired him. Now, I'm going to give you a fuller picture. He was 35 and 29, and then he went 4 and 12, and they fired him. I'm like, mm, back up to that first figure. 
if a Jets head coach won 35 games in four seasons and then you fired him, I don't care if if the team didn't show up for the opener the next year. Oh, I forgot. I Like, I would give him a berth. They didn't. So they fired him, and then Kansas City took him, and then he got fired out there. And the, he was basically, he was in media, commentator on TV and such. And then Arizona State pulled him out of re- that sort of coaching retirement. That didn't end up very well. But you got to remember that way back in the day, <laughs> who did he recruit? Jay Daniels. Jaden Daniels had an NFL receiver out there too. Um, big t- was that Frank Darby that was on that roster with him? Um, and so when you're a true freshman, go look at what Jaden Daniels did out there, man. He's a magician. It was on a string. And then when the talent went down around him and there were injuries and the situation on you know, the program, um, with Antonio Pierce kind of getting in touch with the, the NCAA, and so now he's with the Raiders. Um, it was just a weird way that entire thing unfolded. And part of it was Herm. Yeah, you got to get out of here too. So Herm Edwards, who I'm a big fan of though. So, Heath, how's that Wednesday for you, man? Uh, all good. All good. No doubt about it. Uh, a couple of quick things here, Chuck. Uh, one, this comes from the FSU side of things. So, you know, take it for what it's worth. But Richie Leonard, who had been at Florida the last couple of years, Goes over to FSU, says that the uh, tour of duty offseason conditioning program is, quote, on a whole other level than what he went through at UF. Now, keep in mind, UF is looking for a strength and conditioning coordinator right now because they just brought in a guy and like two months in, he bails and goes to Boston College instead. Now you've got specifically a player saying, oh, yeah, yeah, what they're doing over here, much tougher. Now, again, consider the source, obviously. He's at FSU now. Probably not going to be like, well, this is kind of a joke. UF's got this beat by a mile. I thought you had to work here. But but still, there's no way that's going to land well right now. Like, if you're if you're Billy Napier, you're like, oh, come on. Do I, did I really need this today on top of everything else? Um, yeah. I, Billy Napier is – I almost am to the point where I just need the season to get here and lose these seven games and then decide what you're going to do because – I said going into last year, uh, you were here for the season. I was like, I think I know how this ends. It really looks like a six-win season. Um, Like, this season is already over. There's no real path out of this. And by the way, this year's schedule, Heath, is way, way more difficult than last year. And so I'm still looking at this going, I I see some positives and why things should be this, that, or better or what. Um, there's no way this turns out. And that's a real strange situation for a program to Florida being like Florida being, you look at it and go, there's no credible path that you could describe to me that I would believe. No, it's, it's a very tough situation right now, for sure. No matter who they eventually get to fill that role. There's also a report LSU going to hire Ole Miss's Preston Tiffany to fill their current director of player personnel role that's open. So you just have, you get this little spy versus spy game going on around the conference right now. Yeah, we're going to take your guy. No, wait. Okay, we'll grab your guy. Uh, it's just, it's interesting how this works, where there just seems to be a whole lot of collusion right now with a certain group of programs just all sort of targeting each other. Kind of interesting. Auburn took LSU's guy. LSU went and got their guy back from Ole Miss. You Ole can't Miss say had... it's the West anymore, but but it's basically the West cannibalizing each other. Yeah, yeah, and so and that's the the thing is it is the latest discoverable remember when satellite camps became it, it, we discovered hey that can be somewhere i can get an advantage 
um, the off-field organizational evaluative general manager, direct, uh, what's well, secretary of staff or whatever, um, that you have a new frontier a, a that you can outspend and out-effort your opponents. That's the thought, at least. Yep. Also, you had mentioned earlier in the program, Chuck, about the fact that uh, Kirk Schultz, the president of Washington State, is doing what he can to kind of throw sand in the gears. You don't have any cards to play, right? Assert their rights that they can. And look, for the la- for any agreement for the next two years, they do have a legal vote on. They can't do anything about it. After 2026, he's got no cards whatsoever to yeah. play. But uh, he's he's pitching the idea, why don't we just get a full share of the money anyway? Because we're used to He's basically asking for alimony, Chuck. He's like Johnny Carson used to joke about his wife. He's like Johnny Carson's wife saying, I've grown accustomed to living in this lifestyle, so you need to continue to support me when you divorced me. That's not how business works, my man. No, that's how uh, the Big 12, that's part of how they get to that $30 million from everybody is they had taken that money from that Pac-12 that you know used to go out there. So he has no cards. Like, no, he didn't even have twos and sevens. So at some point, you're like, hey, maybe look at there. There's third. Wraps it up. Back in 22 hours. More college football talk. A lifetime of hard work. Children laughing in the kitchen. Family photos on a restaurant wall. A legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation. Like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank. Let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. So, Robert, I want to thank you for your time. I just don't think you're the right person for this position. I don't understand. Was it something I said? Well, we did a background check on you and found some things of concern. If you're in charge of hiring for your company, you know how helpful a background screening can be. That's why companies that use Horizon background screening make smarter hiring decisions. Don't let the wrong hire put your company at risk. Get the real story on your candidates at horizonscreening.com. Horizonscreening.com. 